No, I say I say to the fans that the fans are the fans and the fans have the right to have their opinions and to have their reactions. Football everything. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Lewandowski, you know, Robert Lewandowski. Dream team, dream team. Fire, swoosh. I am flabbergasted and they're here. I wouldn't even let them on the bus after the match. I would get a taxi back to Manchester. The only time a tennis ball has ever made me angry. What's viral on Twitter for us tonight is tennis ball. These boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. This is a great football and country. Produce players and grow and play that rubbish. Yeah. In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's still decided. I'm angry, I'm angry, Tony. I have to be honest with you. Stephen Kenny, we've won it. So go on, go back to Scotland and get lost. And I'm certainly going to be a part of that. I'm going to manage that. I'm going to make sure we're even better. And fighting is there! Robbie Brady brings us home to the point. Hello and welcome to this week's Tree the Bag podcast from backpagefootball.com and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Rudy Kinsler from Punnett Arena and the Irish Mirrors Oshin Doherty. How are you lads? Oh good, good to be Not out. too bad Kevin, how are you? Yeah not too bad, not too bad, just kind of finally cooling down, um, <laughs> not used to these uh, these around 30 degrees uh, days here in Ireland. Yeah it's a bit outrageous isn't it? My god, barely even left the house today. Yeah, I can handle early to mid twenties is fine. When it starts creeping towards thirty, you're kind of thinking, Jesus, uh, I've had enough of that at this point at this stage. Uh, sure, look, you may get used to it though. I can get yeah. used to it. Global warming. <laughs> There's some positives. There is, I suppose. Yeah, but kind of the pasty skin isn't used to it. It'll take <laughs> a while to adjust. Oh, a couple of decades uh, we'll be laughing. <laughs> uh, we'll get straight into it, so lads. Um, I suppose come with the, some of the big talk points from last weekend's Premier League um, and I think it all took all of about 30-35 minutes or so for, for Haaland to Erling Haaland to, to uh, quench any doubts over him I, I know uh, a lot of people had a, a bit of a laugh after the Community Shield he scuffed a couple of big chances um, maybe didn't have the best of pre-seasons but I mean how much stock can you put in pre-season and uh, he fairly single-handedly destroyed um, West Ham last weekend off the, the penalty spot and then that uh, second goal was was pretty impressive as well. Uh, I mean, talk about a, a a debut to kind of, you know, put everyone on high alert that this guy means business. Yeah, he was, um, to be honest, I think it was the first full 90 minutes that I had seen him. And, you know, you kind of, you see all the stuff on social media and that and you kind of think, is he really that good? Jesus Christ, he's unreal, isn't he? He's just so just the size of him alone, let alone the fact that he seemingly doesn't miss and he's always in the right spot. He's just an absolute monster. Like he reminds me of like, um, do you know when you're a kid and you're playing FIFA and you'd create yourself in the game and you'd give yourself all the best stats and you're just running past everyone. Like there was nothing West Ham could do from, um, and just his speed as well, even for that first goal, uh, for winning the penalty, like over two or three yards or five yards, I suppose, can't get near him. He's just, to be honest, I was watching that and I was just thinking, like, we may as well just give him the trophy now. Like, how is anyone going to stop him getting 25, 30 goals in the Premier League this season? It just seems to me that he's just going to run right. Yeah, it felt like the the Community Shield thing was was more wishful thinking from all the other fans. You know, he saw one or two misses and <laughs> yeah. that slight chance that maybe he wasn't going to be amazing. But that's all been, like you say, put to bed immediately. Like the, 
Obviously, the penalty was well taken, but it's the second goal. Like I can see that happening every single game this season. Just De Bruyne picking it up in five yards of space and playing it in behind the defense, and he's never gonna. Well, you know, he's he'll score more than he doesn't. So it's it's not looking good for for every other team in England. It's funny you mentioned um, not seeing him in over ninety minutes there, Oshin. I I headed over to Dortmund there a few months back uh, to catch a game, and you know, obviously taken off to, to get to see Highland Box mm. as well but um, you know the one takeaway I had from seeing him live was and you kind of see it in action as well on, on television it's just the way he runs it, it, it's it's almost cartoonish it, it's like his strides don't seem human and I think we saw a little glimpse of that first of all for the penalty when he just kind of it was like two strides and he was gone away from the goalkeeper goalie had no chance took him down and then um, for the for the second goal, De Bruyne obviously made the the true ball, but his strides are like three or four strides of a normal person, and he's kind of this hunchback, and it's like, you know, like it's like something out of um, out of a, a Space Jam or something <laughs> that they could just kind of created this kind of this this freak and turned him into a goal scoring machine. He's a he's a cheat code. Like that's the only thing that I could think about him. He's just he's like that thing. Like he eats up the ground. The way you describe him running there, like he it's like he's attacking the ground. He attacks his face. He's just an absolute behemoth. Like imagine Ben Johnson, I think, for West Ham was playing his first ever game at centre half the other day. Imagine he's just looking at him. He's like, What what on earth am I gonna do to stop this lad? He's just a freak. Yeah, I thought the same kind of like West Ham aren't a bad side. And, you know, there are many worse teams mm. in the league. You know, when, when Haaland comes up against, you know, no disrespect to them, but to the Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest of the world, like, it it could get gruesome. He's that good. Like, he, and they could do anything. He can score, you know, if they cross it in, he'll score in the air. If they, you know, play a high line, he'll run in behind. If they drop deep, someone else will score. So, as grim as it is, you know, for football fans, it does kind of feel like the, the league feels wrapped up already, especially after Liverpool jump points. Like, it's one of those weird situations <laughs> where... You know, City have Bournemouth on Saturday, I think, and then Liverpool have Palace on Monday night. It's almost like a must-win for Liverpool on the second game of the season. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned it there, Bournemouth next. Like, he could easily be on pace for sixty goals come <laughs> come uh, come the end of the weekend. Like, it's it's, it's poor old Bournemouth. Um, Rudy, you mentioned Liverpool there, and obviously uh, not the best of starts. And I mean. Uh, like I'm not necessarily one of those people that kind of you know they get bummed down about a result. Um, you know I know you see some people online saying Jesus it's ruined their weekend and you know how will they ever f- recover from this? But like you know early Saturday kickoff one one all against or two all rather against Fulham. I mean I was I, I wasn't necessarily bummed, but I was like oh you know that's that's a bit disappointing. But you know it's it's the first game of the season. We'll uh, we'll we'll regroup. It'll it'll be okay. And then you kind of see. The kind of the narrative online is that Jesus, the league title could be over here after Liverpool have dropped points to Fulham, and like, Jesus, is, is this how far we've come that you know you can't enjoy the first weekend of the season while we've been bummed about a, about the title in May? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like it's 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 just become crazy. Like back in the day, you know, you, I think Gary Neville said something fairly sensible last season, saying like traveling away to a tough ground and getting a point didn't used to be a bad thing. Whereas now it has become a bad thing for City and Liverpool, not for everyone else. For everyone else, that's fine. But in the, in the title races that they've had over the past few years, you just need to, you can't afford to drop points. 
And it's it's I don't know if it's a good thing for the league or a good thing for football or whatever, but it's definitely the case. Like you you'll probably be able to count on one hand the number of teams who beat beat both of them this season, and that is just it's just crazy to have a league like that. And it's we're lucky from from a you know even though I'm not a neutral. If I were to be a neutral, we're, I'm lucky that there there's two of them at least. Because if this was just City doing mm. that and every other team. Yeah, it would just be so grim to watch. Like you know, you'd have your Spurses and Chelseas and all way behind. Or if it was just Liverpool doing it, that'd be even worse from my perspective as a United fan. <laughs> but it'd uh, it'd just make for such grim viewing every weekend. So at least there's two of them, and they're both excellent, and they'll probably go stride for stride until you know, like last season, they could go down to the last ten minutes again. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if Liverpool are going to be able to match them this season. I think Haaland is that good, and I also think uh, Thiago. I think he's out for six weeks now. And I think Liverpool are just completely different when Thiago's not playing. I don't think they're anywhere near as good. So, like, I mean, as mad as it all sounds, in, in three or four games, now, like, I mean, probably exaggerating, Liverpool probably pump Palace and pump Man United then the next week. But, like, it's not it's not out of the question to say, like, if Liverpool have a bad month, the season's over. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose one of the, 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 kind of the other narratives coming out of the, the weekend is that Liverpool... I think they had the highest average age uh, of everyone in the league that weekend, 30 odd. I mean, you've like some Milner coming off the bench as well uh, into the latter half of his 30s. Um, you know, you're relying on, on a team that's kind of been put together for, for many years now. And I think, you know, the fact that they didn't kind of freshen up the midfield, you know, you, like you said, uh, Oshin relying on Thiago, who, who isn't the most reliable uh, injury-wise, but he's north of 30 as well. Nabi Keita, uh, uh, quite unreliable, Jordan Henderson, um, and I think you know in retrospect, and and I think we've we've already seen Liverpool linked with a with a couple of names this week uh, in the midfield position, but it, it it could be something that they do target to try and freshen things up, and because uh, it was so notable against Fulham, Fulham Fulham ran rings around them at times. Yes, yeah, right. There's there's a few teams in the league that you can kind of picture Liverpool having a bad day against this season. Just mm. the teams that play with you know like really high energy midfields, like your say Brighton for example. They were, uh, obviously, they United made them look very good at the weekend, but they do play a, a style of football that if your midfield isn't up to it, they'll really punish you. Like it seems like there's twenty of them on the pitch at times. There's just so many players available to receive the ball, so many options. And if Liverpool are looking a bit leggy or tired now, I'm not saying they will, but if they are to start looking like that, the Premier League really, you know, there's so many decent teams these days that, you know, you could you could be in for a long season. But I do think there is also, you know, the upside is that there's young lads like, I know I know the average age was, was over 30, but you have young lads like Harvey mm-hmm. Elliott. He looked good when he came on. Uh, I thought uh, Carvalho looked good when he came on as well. And... I know I haven't yeah, heard yeah. from Curtis Jones lately, but I've always been impressed by him when he's been given a run. So it's not it's not the end of the world, I don't think, for Liverpool either. Uh, that was the thing that struck me as well, that Fulham just ran all over Liverpool in the midfield. Um, and they looked very kind of... Uh, they looked fair to Liverpool. They were kind of like the way Liverpool... They did to Liverpool what Liverpool usually do to other teams. They just ran all over them. And... Like talking about the midfield, that guy Polinia, who's playing midfield at Fulham, <laughs> how is he playing at Fulham? He Brilliant. looks unreal. Yeah, I don't know how whoever got him to Fulham uh, deserves a massive bonus. He looks like he's going to be a quality player. But uh, yeah, the Liverpool midfield would worry me a little bit. But I'm probably just hoping more so than actually expecting it to be a, to be an issue. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose 
yeah, like Fulham, Fulham were excellent, I thought. Um, Palina stood out especially, but, um, you know, and I, I saw your piece today, Rudy, uh, on Pundit Arena about the the, uh, the array of big men across the league, but um, I suppose Mitrovic was kind of, he's kind of shat on to a certain extent after his his, his previous uh, run in, in the league or in the Premier League and, and then he often went scored 40-odd goals last season in the Championship, but... Um, I, I have a, a buddy of mine. He's a he's a huge Fulham fan, and he was you know he was kind of convinced that Mitrovic is going to be in for a big year. Um, I suppose last time out under Scott Parker, I don't think he was too fancied. Um, but I suppose there does seem to be a kind of a change in in approach across the league with with the with the big men, uh, the 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 huge number nine, the old school kind of centre forward. And I mean, Mitrovic is he isn't the fastest in the world. He's he's nowhere near as fast as Haaland, but. He bullied Trent uh, Alexander Arnold for that for that goal, and you know that's what he's capable of. And I, I, I suppose I think you know if if Fulham can find those mismatches, um, and like I kind of think of say Alessandro Martinez at, at United, you know, kind of a, a a smaller defender. If he can kind of bully him and you know get around the centre halves that are, probably aren't necessarily used to you know big physical guys that are just going to you know jump on their shoulders. You know, he could be another one that'll, you know, easily broach 15, 20 goals if he can keep that sort of form up. Yeah, it's funny. Like, there's, I think people were kind of underwhelmed by him the last time he was in the Premier League. And that has, you know, led to a bit of a narrative that he's, you know, the sort of, I don't know, Cameron Jerome type player who's, you know, two <laughs> championship, never quite make it in the Premier League. But, like, you're talking about a guy who's, I think his goal scoring record for Serbia is unbelievable as, as Ireland now, only too well. And, like, he to me looks perfect for the Premier League like he's a big man he's not slow he's a good finisher he's tenacious he won't give you a second on the ball like I think he's going to be and I think if Fulham stay up or have if they have a chance of staying up it's going to be fairly reliant on him and how many goals he can score so yeah you're right I think it's it's going to be a big season no matter what for him quickly on to United and Leeds uh, and I am conscious that I have two Manchester United <laughs> fans here uh here alongside us, so I'll, I'll be careful what I say, but uh, I mean, I I don't know what I was expecting tuning into to the board or the, the Brighton game rather at the weekend. Um, I suppose you know there's been so much spoken about at this point. You know all the transfer kind of sagas with with Frankie and 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 you know Martinez and and the other guys that they eventually got over the line. But I mean, it really did feel same old, same old, didn't it? And I suppose you know we'll we'll get onto the 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 further transfer rumors that have occurred this week on, on the back of that, but it must have been a little bit disheartening to kind of go into the first game of the season and look kind of like as if you know there's been very little progress. Uh, I forget the stat, but a hundred odd days since since Ten Hag took the job, uh, I know Ronaldo wasn't involved for a huge amount of the um, the preseason, but I suppose you you probably want a little bit more of a kick on an opening day than than, than what you got. Um, yeah, and it's funny you say that, Kev, because the first, the only thing I have written down here about Man United is same old, same old Man United. Like that could have been any performance <laughs> over the last five years. They were just awful. From ten seconds in, um, Dallo loses it in his own box. Trossard nearly puts it in the bottom corner. I like instantly. It was like right, clearly nothing has changed. They still have no confidence. They still don't know what they're doing. Um, like. I think it sums it all up about Man United that Danny Welbeck ran them, ran them ragged. Like, I mean, the fella, they've been out 
eight or nine years ago absolutely tore their 56 million new center half to shreds like they're just they're just an absolute joke that's all i can describe them as and i like man united i'm a fan and they're just horrendous on the pitch off the pitch and i i give i give ten hag a little bit of you know like i mean it's his first game and sure if if every manager that comes in now i know we're only one game into ten hag but like we all know how it's probably gonna go it might improve for a bit but it'll all end up going back to the usual Man United nonsense. But like, I mean, if there's a succession of managers that come in, they all have different styles and the exact same thing happens on the pitch. Like, I mean, that tells you that there's some very deep problems with them and you don't need to be a genius to know that. But like, I mean, all the optimism completely drained within 25 minutes from my perspective anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely agree. Like it was just, just depressing to watch. And like, you know, United played Brighton, I think it was three months ago or four months ago, and they lost 4-0, I think. And, you know, that could have just been the same game again that we just watched. It may as well have been. Like, Brighton, like you say, could have scored 10 seconds in. They almost definitely should have had a penalty for Martin. <laughs> like, they, that that should have been a hammer. And United's goal was a complete fluke. It shouldn't have gone in. Like, that really could have been a, a really comfortable win for Brighton. And in the end, it was. That was one of the saddest things about it was that when United were chasing the game and they got they got the goal back, you're thinking, right, 15 minutes left at Old Trafford. Ronaldo's on first day of the season. This is just going to be chance after chance after chance now for 15 minutes. I don't think United did anything. I don't think there would have been a highlight in that game after that goal went in. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still very much of the opinion that Ten Hag was the right man. I do think he... Already has shown some things that I really like. The fact that he was willing to kind of stand up to Ronaldo. They did look good in preseason. There's a you know a good CV on him and stuff. The 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 issue is that to me he he has strengthened in places that I didn't think we necessarily needed to strengthen and mm-hmm. has hasn't strengthened in the most important parts, which would be you know Scott McTominay and Fred still starting games in centre midfield. Obviously, Young if he's not going to come. There has to be some sort of plan B. It can't be the case that a club like Manchester United have one transfer target and that's it. That's just mental. There has to be someone else out there that, that could do the job slightly worse than De Jong will, but that might actually want to play for United. He'd be a <laughs> there has to be someone out there. Well, maybe it's Adrian Rebio. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the problem. I think it probably is. And, and you know, you couldn't write it like you're, you're talking about a dressing room that is was filled with kind of controversial figures and some would say divas and stuff. And then you see a guy come in and it looks like you're trying to get rid of the, the bad attitudes and stuff. And the first two names you linked with are Arnautovic and Rabio. <laughs> on Wikipedia, the list of their controversies would be longer than their achievements. Like, what is going on? <laughs> like... When I saw Rabio, I'll be honest, I completely forgot that he still played. I was, I didn't know I, Juventus. Like, I mean, this is the fella who he's most famous for his mom being a bit of a headbanger and giving out to Mbappe and Pogba and all them. Like, I mean, it's just, you say you couldn't make it up. I, I tell you one thing, like, you're talking about midfielders. Your man Moises Caicedo for Brighton the yes, other day. Yes, excellent. Was brilliant. <laughs> How did they not look at him? He's 20 years old. Oh my God, I'm going for Rabio. And Arnautovic, uh, you could, you actually, it's actually gotten to the point where you just have to laugh. Like, it's just hilarious. Yeah, the age profile in particular is something that really bothers me. It's like, 
even if let's say Aaron Eldridge came and was excellent and Rabio came and was excellent, they'd need to be replaced in two or three years anyway. Mm. So it's it would even be a foolish sign and you know, Cavani came in, he's gone now because he was getting on. Ronaldo's getting old. You know, it, it's just so odd. I don't understand it at all. Yeah, and you just let in before that. Yeah. Um, Falcao it's what one stage. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's a bizarre kind of a transfer strategy. It it's seemingly that like they just literally they just put names in a hat and just whoever comes out will go for it. Like Marco or an outfit. How did anyone even think of him? Like if you were to name, if you were to say, oh, name a hundred strikers, I would not name an outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up with him. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely bizarre. And I mean, you know, I feel sorry for Ten Hag in a way in that, you know, any manager with McFred in the middle of the field is at a losing position immediately. And then, you know, I, I suppose from the club, uh, Man City's could have thought whereby, you know, they have their number one target uh, and they kind of, you know, they're patient enough to wait for him. And I can kind of see where United are coming from. Okay, Frankie de Jong is their guy. But I think, you know, beggars can't be choosers in that regard. And going into the season, at least going into the start of the season with McFred still in place is just so negligent at this point of the season. And like you said, Oshin, Moises Saicedo, I looked him up during the game. I thought it was his debut. It was actually his ninth game for, for Brighton. He's 20 years old. And I ob- obviously United aren't going to be going out, you know. you know, I think, I forget who tweeted it, but, you know, they're not a Southampton or a Brighton that can, you know, afford to, you know, spend uh, four or five million here and there on, on young players and, and, and be patient with them. But, you know, there has to be an in-between where you're not relying on McFred and poor Ten Hag is, is having to bat you know, so many doubts already. No, absolutely. And to be honest, it's criminal that McTominay and Fred are still playing midfield for Man United. I was thinking there, I was chatting with one of my mates the other day, and was like, if you go through all the midfields in the Premier League, where do McTominay and Fred rank? They're very low down the list. Like, I think we can safely say Brighton have 100 million times better midfield than Man United. Fulham, like, you could go through the whole thing. So, he, fair enough, he wa- he wanted De Jong, but like I mean, if De Jong doesn't want to come, move on. As you said, Rudy, like I mean, get over it. It's been six weeks ago that the fee was agreed. He does not want to come to Man United. Grand, <laughs> no problem. There are other midfielders to go and get, but like, like until McTominay and Fred is kind of uh, broken up that partnership, nothing's going to change because they're they're simply not good enough. Even. The other day, like McTominay, like he tries. I saw someone tweeted, and it was um, this sums up Man United's midfield. McTominay got the ball in the final third. He took six touches, and then he committed a foul and nearly broke someone's leg. <laughs> it was like that is that is Man United's <laughs> midfield down to a tee. And until that changes, like I mean, there's nothing you can do. If you gave Guardiola McTominay and Fred, he'd struggle. I'm a firm believer in that. Welcome to Ever. Leds, a couple of Irish clubs flying the flag uh, for the League of Ireland in Europe this week. Um, we've had the, the huge success of, uh, of Shamrock Rovers, guaranteed um, a conference league um, group stage at this point um, after their overcoming Shkupi, um in the last round this week. They've Fernand Varos now in the next round of the Europa League, but at least they're, they're, they're guaranteed a conference league and at least six more games. Uh, so the pressure will be on RTE to, to try and uh, find space for it all. Um, 
Sligo Rovers, I suppose, huge, huge success story, uh, beating Motherwell uh, in the earlier round of the Conference League. Um, sadly knocked out this evening um, against Viking um, after losing 5-1 in the first leg. But going out on a high, at least, uh, with a win tonight, uh, 1-0 there um, uh, at home in Sligo. Uh, and St. Pat's also uh, being knocked out tonight against CSK uh, Sophia um, at home. Um, I suppose just quickly on that, uh, since it's fresh in our memories, but um, I mean, you know, St. Pat's great 1-0 result uh, away in Sophia. And it really feels like they threw it away this time around, uh, Oshin. Two soft goals. Uh, and, I, and I mean, I saw Gavin Cooney tweet that, that Sophia are giving off that they're no great shake vibes. And that was absolutely it for me. I think I think Pats definitely feel like, they, you know, they'll rue not at least going into extra time with that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought Pats were, well, I was going to say they were really good. They were really good up until kind of they were getting into um, Sophia's box. And then it was kind of just, they were struggling to just get the ball in the back of the net. Even before, um, like the first goal, bad goal could weigh on a set piece. And then the second goal, just before the uh, just before the penalty, there was a pretty, there was there was actually two or three. There was about a 10-minute spell where you were thinking, this is here for Pats. And you could sense it, the whole stadium could sense it. And they just, they couldn't get that goal and then they give away a penalty, and then it's 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 game over. It's heartbreaking for them, but like, I mean, they've had they've had a very good campaign to get to get this far. But um, yeah, I definitely think there's a there's a sense that that was one that got away tonight. Mm-hmm. And Rovers then, Rudy, some some result for them this week. Yeah, it's brilliant. It really is excellent, and it's uh, obviously Rovers fans would be delighted, and there could be some. Rival League of Ireland fans who aren't too pleased, but in the end, it really is a good thing for 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 everyone involved. Like, there's a lot of talk about the coefficient. There has been, you know, some some steady rises in Ireland's <laughs> spot over the past few weeks, but it's it's just good in general. Like, the, you know, we're we're too big of a footballing country to not have any representative on the European level at any point, which has kind of been the case over the past. Uh, I know Bowes went on their run last year, and it was great, but even at that, you know, there was no. You know, you want to see Rovers or Bows or whoever in group stages. It's we should have one representative without a doubt. And Brian Kerr was speaking last night, and I think he said it well. Was that a lot of casual sports fans only kind of tune in to the League of Ireland when they do something in Europe? You know, whether you like it or not, I think that probably is the case. So, if you know people start to, even even if the general consensus around the country is like, oh, well, the league can't be too bad because you know whoever be. Uh, Sligo beat Motherwell or Pats beat whoever and Rovers are in a group stage like even if that's just what the the average sports fan thinks it does make a difference because they might be more likely to tune in or they might be more likely to go to a game so as great as it is for Rovers I think the knock-on effect for the league is is and Irish football in general is probably even better again I was just going to say just as long as the games are televised <laughs> this time I mean um I think exactly, I think yeah. I did see today. I I could be wrong, but I thought I saw Virgin Media tweeting out saying that they were going to be showing the games. So that's good. But no, I completely agree with everything Rudy said there. Like I mean, I I don't really understand. I know there's rivalries and all that, but when it comes to Europe and all that, you kind of want to kind of want the league to to come out looking well. If you know what I mean, from teams going on runs and Rovers getting into the group stages of the Conference League at the very least. I mean, that can only be a good thing for for the league and for everyone. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I can see, you know, the the providers are kind of stuck uh, between a rock and a hard place at times. But 
you know, Irish clubs in Europe, I think, should be automatically RT to, you know, get the pundits on, you know, give them a big match feel. I mean, I was watching St. Pat's tonight on um, on RT News Now, uh, 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 as well as everyone else. And, I mean, it, it's in standard definition, which, I mean, you know, it's a, a first world problem, absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, you've no halftime coverage. You've no real kind of sense of, of, of a big game that, you know, St. Pat's are in Europe. There's lots of... Uh, there's lots of you know money and, and pride at stake, and it just kind of it kind of it demeans it you know in a certain way, and you know you'd love to see the players get to get the huge platform, you know get the ads on uh, in the days up to the game, you know put the pride in place, and I mean whatever's on RT two at seven o'clock in the evening, Big Bang Theory or something like that, just <laughs> just give it a miss for that week and 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 put all your eggs into that basket and and try and you know promote the league as much as you can. It really feels like. You know, it's always a battle. It's always the, oh, will this game be on TV? You know, who's going to pick up that? And you're kind of, you know, you're 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 logging onto Twitter saying, Jesus, where where do I have to go to to find this game this week? And it's 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 a, it's it, it doesn't help the league whatsoever, really, does it? No, exactly. Like you know, you log onto Twitter the night of a of a League of Ireland European fixture, and all everything you see is just you know, why isn't this game on TV? Is there any chance anyone's showing this and whatnot? Like. If they go one one night a week without showing young Sheldon, is there going to be that same <laughs> level of uproar? Surely not. <laughs> like, I think they can go one night without it. I think you're right that Virgin Media are showing it, but like you say, it, it shouldn't really come down to that. Like there is obviously the the argument that, or the or the case to be made that you know this is the RTE is the national state broadcaster. Like you know we're we're paying for it for a reason and you would almost think we should get some say in what goes on it, especially when it comes to, to stuff like sports, as opposed to, you know, reruns of sitcoms and stuff like it's, they should be doing, if anything, they should be overdoing it. There should be every sporting event should be available to watch in some capacity, be it on, even on a, a news now uh, channel, like you, like the, the Pat's one was tonight. Like that should, that should be the bare minimum you'd like to think. But unfortunately we seem, we seem to be a ways away yet. That brings us on to some um, League of Ireland alumni um, that have been going well in the football league this this uh, this start of the season. And I mean, in general, it feels like it, you know Irish football is going through a, a bit of a boom period. Um, you know, you've so many young uh, League of Ireland players uh, either moving abroad or linked uh, with a move abroad. Um, you've lads going over and kind of taking the bull by the horns and, and doing well. Um, you know, just to mention a couple. Jid uh, Oziog Benny two goals to, to start his season at Rotherham, uh, another goal last night in in the Carabao Cup against Port Vale and and Georgie Kelly involved as well, which is great to see. I think he, he had a little bit of a slow start to, to life over in the football league, but he's he's kind of came alive. Um, wasn't he involved? He he scored the uh, one of the goals that that got him uh, into the championship, and you know it's great to see him uh, after you know being so good in, in the league of Ireland the year prior. And Ogbeni obviously, um, you know going over and proving themselves yeah definitely like the 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 kelly situation in particular was an interesting one because i think he he either came injured or he came and he got injured straight away so and, and he you know he was he was in such good form following the bows european run like it was it was a perfect moment for him but it just didn't work out but then he, he's got off to a dream start this year like he scored a great goal that solidified promotion for them last season so i think he was kind of forever in the in the He'll be remembered by fans forever now, even if he's rubbish from now on. But he's he really kicked on from that last day of the season, and 
I don't know if there's going to be many Ireland calls, you know, coming from, but it's just brilliant to see, yeah. you know, yet another, and and that's probably more to do with his age. I think if he was five years younger, I, I could definitely, definitely see Stephen Kenny picking him. But at this point in his career, he probably has missed the boat. But that that doesn't matter, you know. It's it's just good to see another young Irish talent impressing. I think um, it's a it's a big big time for Ogbeni as well at the beginning of the season because. It, it was a bit mad. He kind of fell out of favour a bit um, in the summer internationals for Ireland. Like uh, I was at the March games, and you know he was the most popular player. He was the first name on the team sheet. And then going into the summer ones, I think he was injured. And then coming out of those four games, you're kind of thinking, if you're playing, if you're going to play the three up front that we have been playing, it's kind of Parrot, Obafemi, and Knight. Like, you're kind of thinking, Ogbeni's kind of. Looking, he's on the outside looking in almost without doing anything wrong, which I think is um, it's a shame because I, I think he's brilliant. But um, yeah, it's a it's a big season for him. I think. Mm. I think there's probably a case as well that they probably don't know his best position. I think he was he was pushed out to wing back at, at some stage last season, um, and I think he started up front last weekend against Swansea and, and obviously scored. So you know there could be a kind of. A, a little bit of confusion over exactly where best to, to utilize him. You know, obviously he has rakes of pace um, and, and can get in behind pretty quickly. Maybe his end product lets him down to a certain extent. So you can put, kind of see why, you know, a manager might say, Do you know what, we'll stick this guy further deep try, in, in a wing back role and, and, and kind of get him in whipping crosses. But I think he's the type of guy that, you know, wherever you put him, he's going to put in 100% shift. I mean, he's that type of character. And, two goals to start a season is, 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 you know, you can't fault that really. Yeah, definitely. It's a good point that she made that, you know, it's interesting to see and it's brilliant to see a lot of lads fighting for their place in this Irish team. Like in recent years, it was kind of just, right, whoever's playing in England, you can get a game. Whereas now it's, you, you need to be doing well. And like, I think mm. Kenny has said it, like it's the Aaron Connolly situation sums it up perfectly. Like he's, he's not playing. And when he was playing, he wasn't playing well. So he wasn't in the squad. And it's kind of as simple as that. Like I think there will be chances given to those who impress at club level, and that's such a good motivation for them to try kick on. So it's a uh, it's you know great to check in on them every week because no doubt Kenny is mm. doing the very same. Yeah, and I suppose that brings us on to, to one man who's who's very much in, in Kenny's plans is Troy Paris. Um and I just feel like he's he, he's he's really come of age over the last six months or so. Obviously, he's gotten a few goals for Ireland. Um, He's, you know, seems to have matured a lot. Um, couple of early, you know, struggles on on loan away from Spurs, and seems to have impressed in in their preseason tour. He he got all the, the the viral news stories after he uh, he led the line in in Conte's training. But uh, first goal as well for him for Preston during the week, which will obviously uh, you know be a, a kind of a monkey off his back early on as well. Yeah, absolutely. I have to, I'm a huge fan of Parrot. I have to say, anytime I've seen him, I thought he's just been brilliant and. There was an there was an interesting thing that um I can remember Richie Sadlier saying it ages ago. It was after the um the Andorra friendly when he scored the two goals and he was like, This is brilliant, but we don't want this to be kind of in a year's time, this is the best thing Parrot yeah. has done. And then he said it again before the um uh the friendly game. Who who did they play in the friendly? I'm blanking on that completely. Was it Andorra maybe? Uh, the one in the Aviva, he scored the last minute goal. Anyway, he oh, scored a, was it? Yeah, I think that's all. He scored a scored a screamer, and I was like, right, well, now this is kind of his best moment. And then he had the brilliant game against Scotland. That's it. So it's 
it's good to kind of see that he's kind of uh, progressing and um, like the moments kind of keep happening from. I'd like to know, like, is it, there still kind of seems to be a slight confusion over like I would see him as a striker, but he's played in the past kind of out wide a little bit, and I don't think he's done as well there. And he's kind of played number ten as well, but um, I'd like to see him just kind of play as a number nine, score. Well, score loads of goals obviously would be ideal, but if you just had a position nailed down, fixed, and just kind of learn and grow from there. Yeah, I kind of agree. And I, I saw something during the summer, and it was, I think Spurs were choosing where to send him on loan somewhat based on the position that they'd be playing him mm. in. So they obviously share the same concerns that they're kind of either they want him to get a taste of a few different positions or they want him to nail one down. But it, it is great to see him get the first goal. Like you say, it probably was. Because he's had a few failed loan spells, I'd say he was determined to to get this one off to a good start. And like, still only twenty years of age, and he's got what is it four international goals or like um, it's a four. It could even be five. Like that's some going at that age. Like there there aren't many in our current squad who have more than him, and there's a lot of lads been playing a lot longer than him. So he's 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 definitely one to be excited about, and, and mm. justifiably so. Yeah, I'm just looking at Preston's lineups. He seems to be. Uh... Leading the line um, in a two-man front line with uh, with Jakobsen um, and like you mentioned there, Rudy, I think Spurs were kind of pretty clear on that. To, you know, they wanted uh, him to, to to play as a striker, and I suppose from an Irish point of view, after the uh, the success of himself in Obafemi, I think that's something we'd like to see explored uh, a couple of more times uh, in an Irish shirt. When uh, unfortunately, I think Obafemi got injured after that, but um, I mean. I think once the two are fit and available, I think you definitely have to throw them back in together and see what can happen. Yeah, definitely. They're both earned it. And, you know, it's 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 one thing when two forwards are playing well together, but they clearly had some sort of connection, like the runs they were making, the passes they were playing. There was, they did seem to be a, a really nice thing building. And the fact that they're, I think Obafemi's just 22, power 20, like there's, there's years in them together, hopefully. So it's, it's you'd want to see them, I think we've we've Armenia at home in the next international break, and God, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion. But if they can get a goal or two in that game, it'd just be brilliant to get them. Just keep the confidence rising. On the Premier League front, then lads, um, in in terms of the Irish coverage there, and it's been a, a pretty interesting season, uh, uh, or start of the season, I suppose. Um, obviously, we we we've huge interest in the goalkeeper's position. Um, we've a couple of the lads on the bench. Um, I think the main story really is, is Nathan Collins, isn't it? He he got his first start for Wolves um, and was he buried there a wet week and they've already <laughs> been to Conor Cody and, and moved to a back four. Yeah, it's it's some show of fate is how I'd say about him. Like, as you said, Cody, Axed, CLR pal. They've gone from back five to back four. Like, the pressure that he must be feeling he must feel, first of all, he must feel brilliant because he knows that the manager backs him and the club back him and they've really kind of put the eggs in the basket. You're our guy. But at the same time, you've taken, not only have you taken the captain's place on the pitch, you've basically kicked him out of the club. Like <laughs> It's, I, I hope, I, I'm sure he will because he's obviously class, but like that is some pressure to be putting on some, some, uh, I'm not sure. He's only what 21 or something like that coming 21, in. 21, yeah. Like that is, it's some show of faith and they obviously see something in him. And sure, we've all seen ourselves how good he is and how good he can be. And it's like, there's lots of pressure on him, but 
the upside to that is if he has a good season here at Wolves after all of this, I mean, there's going to be big, big, big teams coming calling for him. And rightfully so, because I think, I, I think he could be as good as he wants to be, really. I think he's absolutely class on the ball and defensively. Yeah, I definitely agree. Once I saw the Cody leaving the club, I was just thinking, oh no, this is starting to scare me a bit now. Because I've been thinking three weeks' time and Wolves haven't got a point and they're thinking, why do we let Cody go? And we shouldn't ever sign this guy. But then, you know, like you say, if we're being optimists about it, it if it works, that is just, that's unbelievable to come in and to, to do that. Like, it's it's allowing Bruno Lage to play a type of football that he wants, that he felt he couldn't play without him. So, like, that's as big of a vote of confidence as you could possibly get, really. So, yeah, like I say, I, I, I hope it works well and I do think it will because, because as much as Collins is good, that Wolves team is quite good as well. Like he's got Max Kilman beside him as a very good defender and another ball playing defender. And you know, up the pitch they've got some really strong attacking talents. I think they just signed another striker there, so I do think that they'll be good and he'll be fine as well. So I think so, yeah. And like you said, Oshin, he, you know, the sky's the limit with this guy. And I know it's a cliche, and you know, it's kind of you don't want to harp on about it, but. 20 million for him does seem like a little bit of a bargain, you know, if he was English, you know, that kind of mm. caveat, you know, the asterisks, you know, if he was English, you could probably double or triple that. I mean, from what we've seen so far, what he's capable of, that goal against Ukraine, uh, I think is a perfect example, you know, just striding through the midfield and and, and, and scoring a goal that a defender shouldn't. But uh, I think Wolves, I, I was really surprised uh, and I said it last week, I was really surprised when Wolves were the ones that kind of popped up and, and signed him. But, you know, I think it's kind of starting to make sense now that he does um, he does fit what they're trying to do. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's a, a little bit of a bargain at that price. Absolutely. And, I mean, they clearly have a plan for him. Like, I mean, they've gotten rid of the captain for him. So he should be given time to settle in. And I'm sure there'll be rough patches as there is with any young player, especially a defender. But, um yeah, as you said, sky's the limit from. And I do think Wolves, it's kind mm. of the perfect expectation of a club from. Not too high, shouldn't be in a relegation battle. He should be able to just kind of get on with his football and keep improving. No, just thinking, I, I know they've got Fulham this weekend, so he's he's Mitrovic to worry about. So it should mm. be very, fairly interesting to watch there. <laughs> well, if he does a better of a, uh, job than Van Dijk did last week, <laughs> it'll be a, a bit of a <laughs> string to his bow there. Exactly, yeah. Um, quickly on Bizunu, lads, and I mean, like uh, we, we were the, chatting about it last week in the season preview podcast, would end then feel that I was a little bit kind of scared for him in that, you know, he's he's coming into a kind of a, a, an odd situation at Southampton that could easily go south just as quickly as it could, you know, go up. And, you know, Spurs are obviously Spurs, are, they're, they're a fantastic team, but I mean... Conceding four goals in his league debut, one of those uh, 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 absolutely ridiculous own goal of, <laughs> of Jimmy Traore standards <laughs> from uh, from uh, Mohamed Salisu. And, I mean, Jan Bednarik, Jan Valeri, uh, they're kind of in front of him. I mean, if you're a, a young goalkeeper, that doesn't pose much confidence in it, does it? No, not at all. He'll get some good shot stop in practice, though, I suppose is the only thing. But, like... I'd, I'd be the same as you if if Collins has kind of gone for you're looking at him and you're thinking yeah that should be a safe enough thing with Bizunu I mean 
to be honest, I think Southampton are going to go down this season. I think they're not good at all, especially that defence. Um, and like by all accounts, he did pretty well against Spurs. But I mean, if if, you're, if the list of defenders you named there, I mean, they're not exactly like Maldini or Cannavaro. Do you know what I mean? So like, I think he could, I think he'll come out of it looking well because he's obviously... I hesitate to say world class, but like I mean, he's shown with Ireland that he's a very, very good keeper, and there's not many, there's probably not many better than him at his age. But um, I think I do think Southampton is a bit of a poison chalice for him, unfortunately. Yeah, I I saw reports today saying I think it was something saying senior players at Southampton are surprised that Hasnudel's still in a job. And you know all the stuff you don't want to hear if you if you're managing a team, just about you know there being a lack of faith in him and stuff. So, and I know the bookies have him as not odds on, but he's he's a strong favorite to be first sacked this season. So uh, you just have to hope whoever comes in to replace him, if he does go, is a fan of Bazunu. But uh, you'd like to think he would be. And then there's also if they are to go down, which I see a lot of people kind of tipping now, it wouldn't be the end of the world because. I think it's Aaron Ramsey. I got back-to-back relegations. I'm pretty sure, and then Arsenal bought him for thirty million. Pickford's been relegated twice. He got a massive move. So maybe it's a good look for a goalkeeper. You show what you can do in in the worst possible team, and <laughs> you end up failing upwards somehow. So, quick word on cover, uh, Connor Coventry lads. Um, I was absolutely delighted to see him make his West Ham debut at the weekend. Um, I've, I feel like I've been watching him for twenty years. I mean. <laughs> He's twenty six caps for 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 the for the under twenty ones. He kind of has that old school look, you know, the jersey tucked in, uh, the hair slicked back, and he's still only twenty two. But if you had told me like this guy is thirty one and he's been play, playing, you know, football league for for ten years, I'd probably believe it. But I mean, I was looking at the the West Ham squad and kind of the the shape of it. Obviously, um, um. Uh, Noble has has retired, so there, there's an extra space available. But it does look like he's going to be involved, and it would be massive for Ireland. I think if you know we have another a midfield player who's who's getting minutes in the Premier League, um, and a guy as well who you know he's he's so much experience in an international kind of um, footing with the under twenty ones, captaining the under twenty ones, and I think he'd he'd probably slot in seamlessly into into the senior group. He does seem like that type of character. Yeah, he does. He's one of those ones, whenever I watch the under-21s, I'm always so impressed by him. And he's also never the one that kind of gets all the attention, I feel. He's never the one that people say, oh, he's man of the match or he's linked with this club or whatever. But I think he's really good. And like you say, I think he's one of the one of the many under-21s who could play for for our senior team and not look out of place. There's also the, the benefit of the five subs this year as well. Like, it's almost a shame we don't have more youngsters breaking through at, at mm. Premier League clubs. Like even if uh, it's probably better that Troy Parrott didn't stick around, but had he, I'd say there would have been quite a few games where if Spurs were four 0 up or whatever, he'd have got a run. So I, I do think if if ever there was a season for for someone like Coventry to break through, I think it could be this. Like if if Declan Rice were to suffer an injury, which he, he actually is quite prone to do, there's there's not many centre midfielders ahead of him in the in the pecking order. So. It's uh, Carabao Cup, FA Cup minutes. I I could definitely see him give, being given a chance to impress anyway, and and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he took the chance. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with the West, like, who is West Ham's next midfielder? Like, there's Rice and there's Sochek, but 
I don't think they took Alex Kral. It's I know very thin. Who's sorry? I was just saying it's very thin oh, um, in the yeah, midfield yeah. position. Yeah, he could easily get, you know, 15, 20 games coming off the bench. And then if one of the boys gets injured, like, I, I think uh, I think this could be a really big season for him. But I mean, that would be a whole other question for West Ham. Have you only got two centre mids at the club would be another mm. uh, question for them. But it might be good for, for Coventry. First, I thought you chewed your bollocks to be quite honest. This is live. And just to finish up, then lads, uh, in a in a section that I like to call um, scouts managers uh, doing bizarre things, and uh, we'll get on to to Joey Barton shortly uh, with Trevor Clark. But Stephen Gerrard, um, under uh, kind of pressure straight away, losing um, uh, Villa's opening uh, game of the season at the weekend. Um, He's a, a big game against his old buddy Frank Lampard now on Saturday against Everton, um, and I mean if they don't get a result there, I think uh, he'll be in huge hot water, and he'll, I think he'll instantly be one of the the favourites to get the the sack, um, over the course of the first few weeks of the season. But I mean he he hasn't really helped himself. This whole Tyrone Mings situation, I mean, I mean any time you you strip the club captain, um, is going to get attention, and when you do it to a guy who's I mean, I'm not Bing's his biggest fan, but you know, he he's an England squad member. He's, you know, he he does a job. He mightn't necessarily start. Obviously, you know, they signed Diego Carlos um, earlier on in the season, and you know, probably knocks um, uh, Mings down to third or fourth choice. But like, it's really put kind of a microscope on Gerard and his his man management, especially. Um, and I, you know, I follow quite a few Villa fans and. They're definitely not happy with the situation. I know they're not happy with, with the team lineups. Uh, Emi Buendia doesn't seem to be getting a look in at all. Um, so, I mean, if, if you're Gerard, and, I mean, you can't fault what he did at Rangers. It was pretty excellent. But, I mean, he was talked as the next Liverpool manager at some point uh, when Klopp eventually moves on. But I think that stock is, is at an all-time low. You'd imagine, you know, exactly what he's thinking when he, when he goes through the kind of type of decisions goes through his head. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's when you make a decision like that, it just has to pay off, and it has to pay off quickly. So you know, let's say if if on Saturday morning John McGinn scores a great goal and kind of puts in a captain's performance to help beat Everton, maybe I'll be forgotten. But if if they lose again and whoever's playing at the back makes a mistake, or you know. What could be even worse is if he puts Mings back in and then he kind of looks soft for doing so. Like, it's just such a, a a risky move and probably one that he didn't need to make. So, it, it, he he, I do agree that he could be in trouble, which is odd because it felt like he, I felt like he was doing well until I actually started thinking about it. And I was like, they they never seem to win. They got <laughs> off to a really good start, and I think that was more so the new manager bounce, and they had a few good games against bigger sides but they then like that was a big blow to lose to Bournemouth on the first day of the season and you know I think they've Everton it's half 12 kickoff on Saturday that's never an easy game Everton need a win too so I think out of Lampard and Gerrard if, if whoever loses that game they'll start to worry about their jobs they'll be rooted to the bottom of the table and yeah I'd say both teams would probably take a draw at this point it's um it's kind of shone, shone a light on Gerard as a whole, I think everyone's kind of like this is 
I am absolutely not Tyrone Mings' biggest fan, but I mean, you strip him of the captaincy. Like, he's injured anyway, so it's kind of, or he was injured for that game anyway, so it seems he's kind of just created a bit of trouble for himself, Gerard, that he didn't really need. But I saw there was a stat going around, and I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently his um, record at Villa was the same as Gary Neville's at Valencia. So, I mean, if that is true, yeah. I'm not going to stand by that, but I mean, if it is true, that just, I mean... <sighs> He won his, I think he won four of his first six. And then I can't really remember the middle. But then I saw the other one. He won two of his last 11. So, like, I mean, wow. that's that's kind of in free fall um, from the end of last season to the beginning of this one. And if you strip the captain, former captain now, I'm sure that he's very powerful in the dressing room. Mings, like, that's not going to go down well. Like, he just has, in my mind anyway, it looks like he's just created an awful lot of drama that he could have done without Jared. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right about that stat. Um, and like, he had the new manager bounce, and then he had a, a, a kind of a Philip Coutinho bounce when he joined in January, and that kind of papered over the cracks to a certain extent. Um, but I think it, it just all went downhill towards the the end of the season. And I mean, you know, a loss to Everton at the weekend, and Everton are on a very very low ebb at the moment. Mm. A loss to, to Frankie Lampard uh, would be would be hugely detrimental to, to Gerrard's, you know managerial career and I think probably at this point um, put a kind of a, a, a nail in the coffin of him ever you know succeeding Klopp or you know I don't I say he'll never manage Liverpool but you know it'll definitely knock him a few spaces down the uh, the list of priority there Yeah definitely I think you know and and I also feel like that Villa side is really expensive like they they've signed so many players whenever you go through that that, that team from, from back to front like there's there's hardly anyone there worth less than fifteen or twenty million, and then there's some lads on the bench who who are really expensive too. So I think he really, he needs to start getting a tune out of them. Like you look at say Brighton, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, obviously West Ham, Leicester, all of the teams that you'd probably consider Villa's rivals are on a completely different t- trajectory. I feel so. I think he needs to he needs to get a result on Saturday and 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 let that be the start of of a bit of a run, or he could be in real trouble. What did you make of the uh, Joey Barton comments, lads? Um, and just to provide a bit of context, he he completely threw uh, Trevor Clark under the bus. Um, former Shamrock Rovers player, obviously. I mean, he, loads of experience. I think I think he's only twenty three or twenty four, but he's eighty odd appearances in, in the League of Ireland. He's uh, caps for Republic of Ireland underage. Um, he's at Bristol Rovers. They they gave him a new uh, contract a couple of months back. And Barton's turned around and said he completely regrets giving a new contract, and he's basically um, exiled him from from first team training. He says he don't doesn't trust him, and I mean, first of all, my my initial reaction is, how is this guy still a manager in in <laughs> any decent level? It's like, but the last time I was reading about Joey Barton is he he was in some bust up um, <laughs> with another manager when he was at Fleetwood Town. Like who who's hiring this guy? <laughs> but um. Crazy, crazy story, and and another example of, of man management just completely in the bin. And I suppose this time around, it's it, it's it's it hurts for us, I suppose, a lot more because it's an Irish guy who's a, who's getting the brunt of it. Uh, it's a it's very grim stuff altogether, and it's it's nasty and needless and unnecessary and completely unsurprising. Like if any other manager did that, I'd be thinking, uh, like 
there must be something getting lost in translation or the question must have been asked in a strange way, but because it was Joey Barton, I know exactly what he's doing there. He's, he's trying to, to get a dig in at a player that he clearly doesn't rate or doesn't like or that he's fallen out with. And it, like I say, needless is the main word I can think of for it. Like he, There was no way he had to say anything like that at all. That anything, any of that that he had to say could have been said in private, and he made a conscious decision not to do that and to tell everyone. It's just, it's so cynical, and it's, it's just so unsurprising. Like I say, from a guy again who, who's just had a career filled with really nasty moments like this, and like this isn't even one of the worst things he's done. But it, it like you say, it hurts more because it's a young Irish lad over there. And it's, it's not easy to make the move from Ireland to England as a footballer. And, you know, you must be heartbroken when, when, when a manager comes out and says something like this. Like, the, the quotes were scandalous. He, he was saying, I've told them all summer, I don't trust you and stuff. So he, that's bad enough that that is the case as is. But why do you feel the need to tell the world and tell the media? Why do you think that we're better off knowing that? All of that could have stayed on the training ground. And it's it's just... Fairly despicable stuff from a from a fairly despicable guy, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I um, to be honest, I was reading the quotes and I honestly thought they were made up. I was like, this cannot <laughs> possibly be true. Like he's just completely buried Clark in public. And the thing that there was a couple of things that struck me about him. The first one was like, you think of the player. Imagine how he must feel when you have your manager saying this awful stuff in in the public. Like, Definitely. God only not like we're in a in an era now, you know, where we're all supposed to help each other out, and everyone is very kind of mental health conscious. And then Joey Barton go, goes and does something like this, not surprising at all. Then the second thing I was thinking was, how would the players feel about their manager saying this about one of their buddies in public? He like if if Joey Barton somehow had people, you know, gravitating towards him, surely that's gone now. I don't know how you could, but like you know what I mean. He's such a vile, just awful chap. And then the third one was like, if he's saying these things in public, imagine what he's actually saying to those players in private. Like this Definitely. is him in public. And this is his public persona. He's 10 times, 100 million times worse in private. So like, I mean, I mean, I'd be, I'd be kind of hesitant to even give Joey Barton any kind of airtime, to be honest, because he's just, he's just one of these kind of repugnant characters that unfortunately life is full of perfect leads I think we'll leave it there Rudy Oshin thanks a million for coming on this evening no problem anytime yes, thanks, thanks very much for that respect 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 man respect 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 so we leave it there so okie doke good night and god bless <laughs>